Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Our scripture reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians, chapters 13, verses 1 through 13. If I have all the eloquence of men and angels, but speak without love, I am simply a gong, booming or a cymbal chasing. If I have the gift of prophecy, understanding all the miseries there are, and knowing everything, and if I have the faith in all the fullness, to move mountains, but without love, I am nothing at all. If I give away all I possess, piece by piece, and even if I let them take my body to burn it, but I am without love, it will do me no good, whatever. Love is always patient and kind. It is never jealous. Love is never boastful or conceited. It is never rude or selfishness. It does not take offense and is not resentful. Love takes no pleasure in other people's sins, but delights in the truth. It is always ready to excuse, to trust, to hope, and to do whatever comes. Love does not come to an end, but if there are gifts of prophecy, the time will come where they must fail, and the gift of languages, it will not continue forever. And knowledge, for this too, the time will come when it must fail. For our knowledge is imperfect, and our prophesying is imperfect. But once perfection comes, all imperfect things will disappear. When I was a child, I used to talk like a child and think like a child and argue like a child. But now I'm a man. All childish things are put behind me. Now we're seeing a dim reflection in a mirror. But then we shall be seeing face to face the knowledge that I have now is imperfect. But then I shall know as fully as I am. In short, there are three things that last, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. The word of God for all of God's people. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God of wonder, love, mercy, grace. I pray, Lord, that your spirit, which is present among us, would gather us up, that would hold us close, that we would feel your touch upon our lives, that You would open our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear your voice. Share with us truth for our lives through the music, through the scripture, through our affirmations, through our prayers. 
I pray, Lord, also that you would take these words that I present to you as one without authority, but trusting in the one who does have authority. We ask that you would speak to us now. We ask that you'd help us to hear so that we go out in your name and into the world as your children and people who follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Christmas is now in our rearview mirror. And if you are like me, this makes me kind of sad. I mean, it, it comes so quickly, and as quickly as it arrives, it seems to fade that much more quickly. In, in fact, I was at a restaurant yesterday in Raleigh, and they were playing Christmas music. And I got to be honest with you, I was really glad they were still praying, uh, playing it, rather. I, I wasn't ready to stop listening. I wanted to hear those songs and continue to do so. And then earlier this past week, I was in another restaurant, and, and many of you may know I've got this cochlear device in the back of my head. It's kind of a dangerous thing, because I can turn the volume up, and I can look at you all and hear what the last person in the row is saying back there. It's a little scary. So I was in this restaurant, and I caught wind of what these people were talking about. They were talking about Christmas, so of course I, I nudged the volume up a little bit. Some might call that eavesdropping. For me, it was information gathering. I was looking to, to gather fodder for my sermon. And what I heard was this one person said the other, she, you know, boy, Christmas is so hard. I mean, the hunt for the perfect gift you know, you, you look and you try to find the right gift, and on Christmas morning, people run downstairs and they rip through the packages and they open, open them much more quickly than it took to prepare them and wrap them. And as soon as it's over, we go on to something else. And the other person said, oh yeah, boy, I, I do get that. I mean, how weird is Christmas anyway? He said, we sit in front of a dead tree and then eat candy out of our socks. <laughs> I'm not sure they were talking about the same thing. But talk about bringing the Christmas spirit down. The first week of Advent, Glenn asked us as a staff to gather in our, our weekly staff meeting to reflect upon a gift that had an impact upon our lives. One that we had remembered and, and it truly was a lasting gift. I have to admit, he asked to do this and then share it with the person next to us. I was coming up empty. I'm thinking, Golly, I don't remember many gifts. How tragic is that? And finally, the idea came up after the, the person I was sharing with shared her, her gift. I thought, you know, the one gift that I truly remember when I was 13, I asked for an official NFL football. We're talking about the same ones they used in the games that were played on Sunday. You see, we had just moved into a new neighborhood that summer. And it was a newly developing neighborhood, and we had all these empty lots where the, the kids in the neighborhood would gather for our field of dreams called playing a pickup game of football. And I was always open, you know, tag, flag, or tackle. Let's go. Let's play football. And having this football would give me some extra cred when it came time to choosing teams. So that, that is a gift I really wanted. And you may say, boy, that, that doesn't seem like a really life-changing gift to me. Well, have I told you that I grew up in Canton, Ohio? A mere seven miles from the Football Hall of Fame, 
which for a football fame is Mecca. It is the place that you long to go to. And as a boy, I went to it as often as I could, would spend hours just roaming the halls and watching the movies. It was truly one of my favorite places in all of the world as a young boy. Well, that same Christmas, we got wind that the Hall of Fame was going to do something that they had never, never done before, and I'm not sure they ever did since after that experience, is they were going to be open all night long on Christmas Eve for young and old to, to roam the halls and enjoy the wonders of this sacred place for us. My friends and I were all in. We were good to go. The question was, could we convince our parents? Turns out they all had plans for Christmas Eve. They were kind of glad to see us go somewhere where they knew we would be safe and, and out of trouble. At least we promised that we would stay out of trouble. And I think for the most part we did. But, but I remember, you know, after they agreed to this, we said, that's great. How are we going to get there? And one of us said, we can ride our bikes. Now, this is the dead of winter in Ohio. But we were football fans and we were 12 and 13. And that's how you got around. And it was only seven miles. So on December 31st, we all showed up. We, we came at the, the gathered time. We had our Christmas money. We were ready to set out on the journey of our lifetime. We got on our bikes and we're getting ready to, to hit the, the driveway and go down the street. When my good friend Scott said, does anybody know the way? It's actually a really good question because none of us had a license. None of us had ever driven there before. We had always been driven by somebody else, and we weren't paying attention. Now, I'll be honest with you, I had a basic idea, at least I thought I did. I, I figured I knew I did. I knew the general location. I knew the basic streets. So with great hope and passion, we said, yes, let's go. You know, that idea of knowing the way, it's always a good idea, isn't it? Knowing where you're going before you start. How many of you, uh, I look across the room, I'm, all of us in here for the most part, remember the, the maps we used to get, the, the way too big for your car, multi-fold maps you open up and you actually block the whole windshield trying to figure out where you're going? It, it's much easier now that our maps are on our phone. Just look up Google and, and she'll tell you where to go. But back then, we didn't have a map. But the truth is, we do have a map, don't we? God gives us a map. And that's what I want to talk about today because it's the end of one year and moving to the next one as we figure out, does anybody know the way as we consider the direction of our lives, what course they're going to take? Now, many people do New Year's resolutions, and, and I am not one of them. I have found that I, I don't do good res resolutions. I'm much better at, at maybe assessing my life and taking stock and, and, and count of where I'm doing well and where I may be struggling. And so that's always been my process instead. But a couple years ago, someone shared with me this idea because they, they were, I, I don't know if they were frustrated with me or they said maybe needed, I, I thought I should do some resolutions. So they said, I think I want to share with you my seven up relutions. My, your seven ups? I said, yeah, my seven ups. I said, are you getting me to switch from Coke to seven up? What's going on with this? And she said, no, 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 there, there are seven things that I believe will give you a path for your life. And I said, hey, I'm all about that. So the first thing you do with these seven ups is you need to wake up. Not just get out of bed, but before you do so, to pause to give thanks for this new day that God has given you. Pretty good. The second one was to dress up. And I, I kind of looked at what I was wearing. I said, what do you mean? I, you don't like my clothes? He said, no, 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 no. She said, by dress up, put a smile upon your face. 
wear that smile throughout the day. It will change your own inner attitude, but also touch those around them and impact their world as well. Okay, that's good. The third was listen up. I can always use that one. Learn to listen more and talk less. Because doing so, we'll be better, better able to understand and see those around us. The fourth was stand up. Stand up for what you believe in, what is true and kind and just and right. The fifth was look up. Keep your eyes focused forward. Seeing Christ in every event of your life, realizing that he walks with you no matter where you go, not looking behind to the past and worrying about what has happened or stressing about the things in the future that you cannot control anyway. Keep your head focused going forward and upon Christ who is with us always. The sixth with reach up. And by that, this person said, spend time in prayer every day. Not where you, you sit aside in silence somewhere, you, you go through a litany of prayers, which are wonderful things to do as well, but have an attitude of prayer throughout the day in every aspect of your life. When you see a need or someone in trouble, lift them up to God. When you see something to rejoice in, give praise to God. Have an attitude of prayer throughout the day. Reach up. And finally, the seventh was lift up, being available to those around you, who are in need. Be willing to respond to them rather than just merely only focusing on our own needs and desires. And I have to admit, this is a pretty good list. It's a good path. It's a good idea. And I thanked her for it. But I tend to gravitate to something else. I believe there are three primary things that Jesus has called us as his followers to do. Two of these are found in Matthew 22, verses 34 through uh, 37. Jesus was being challenged by some teachers of the law. And they said, so tell me, teacher, of all of God's commandments, which one is the greatest? And Jesus, it seemed to be, without even missing a beat, said, oh, all that God has commanded can be summed up in these two things. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your being, with all of your mind. And then the second is related to that. You must love your neighbor as you love yourself. What I do with these two teachings, these two profound teachings of Christ, is I take them seriously and I wrestle with them in my own heart and I reflect upon my life and I say, how am I doing? Where am I succeeding? In what ways have I lived well and lived my faith well? And in what waves have I stumbled and struggled? And I do this without judgment. Lord, have mercy. I think there's enough judgment in the world. But rather, I do it with a sense of grace-filled exploration of the practice of my faith. To be honest in that it's assessments as I take an account of, am I really living into what I say I believe? Because I believe sin is not necessarily the individual behaviors that we so often are many times far too willing to point out, but rather sin is the brokenness in our relationship with God and one another. The literal meaning of sin is to miss the bullseye, to miss the mark. Do you have any uh, dart players in here? I'm going to tell you what, I've played it several times. I'm not very good at it. I rarely hit the bullseye just like life. 
I mean, more often than not, I, I hopefully get on the actual target. I mean, the pad, whatever you would call it, the game board. There are times I miss the board completely. It, it hits the wall or goes over the wall or on the floor. Just like life. Again, I say there's no moral judgment here, but rather an honest assessment, an accounting of how well I am doing of living into my faith, what I say I believe, and where I'm missing the mark, and where I miss it sometimes badly. Asking God to show me, to help me grow more mature in my faith. I said, though, there are three ways that Jesus called us to live, not just these two. The third is found in Matthew 5, chapter, chapter 5, rather, verse 43, and what is called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus said, you've heard it said, you must love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who harass you so that you'll be acting as the children of your Father who is in heaven. Okay, let's be honest. This takes it to a whole nother level. I mean, this teaching itself, I mean, the other two seem like child's play, so to speak, compared to this. You want me to love my enemy? You want me to, to pray for and be compassionate toward that one who has hurt me or gotten under my skin or said things to wound my child and family? You want me to love this person? The idea of that causes me to go deep into God's love and mercy to even get my head around it. Because it seems so foreign to our nature and certainly out of step with the day-to-day realities of the world we live in. But I am reminded as I reflect upon these three truths of Christ, these were not considered optional or a choice. But rather, he said, these are what I want for you as my child, as my brother, as my sister. So I reflect, how in the world do we do that, Lord? Where can I find some trail markers? Where can I, I find some places to put my foot, to put my hand as I climb this mountain? I'm reminded then of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 13, which I suspect most of us simply connect these with weddings. And they are a beautiful wedding text, and they are a great rule of life for any married couple or really anyone in relationship. But I feel confident when Paul wrote this, he was not thinking about marriage. He was thinking about relationships in the community of faith, referring not just to two people, but the body of Christ as we live together, not just in this place, but in the world around us, calling us to build our lives and maintain these relationships upon a foundation of love, God's love revealed to us through the life of the one who was born at Christmas. I feel certain that these words of Paul, when he wrote them, he was thinking about us as a, as a guide, as a trail map for our lives, as a place to help us know where we are going. Because I think what this tells us is that God and Jesus are far more interested in how we live our lives day to day than how much we accomplish in a day. These words for me are a roadmap. They're a credo to live into, a call to live fully into our humanity, our humanity which reveals that we bear the fingerprints of our maker upon our soul. Going to reveal my age here a little bit. I remember when this book came out, it's now celebrating over 30th anniversary. 
Robert Fulgram's book, All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. I suspect many of you in this room have read that book and know about it. Uh, and in this book, he said, all I really need to know, I, I learned in kindergarten. It wasn't in the, the mountain of graduate school. It was in the sandbox of nursery school. And then he shared his own personal credo, statement of faith, share everything, play fair, don't hit people, put things down or put things back where you found them, clean up your own mess, and don't take things that aren't yours. I'll be honest with you, if we do these things alone, the impact we have on the world around us will be significant. But then he continued. Say you're sorry when someone hurts you. Live a balanced life. Learn some, think some, draw, paint, sing, dance, play, and work every single day. Take a nap every afternoon. Wouldn't that be nice? I mean, who takes a nap? I mean, but it would be so nice sometimes. And then you go out into the world, watch out for traffic, hold hands and stick together, and beware of wonder. God's wonder is everywhere if only we will look for it. And then remember the, the first word, the most important word that we learned as a child in the Dick and Jane books. Now, some of us in this room remember the Dick and Jane books. For those of you who don't, I guarantee you can Google it. The biggest work of all was to look. He has a point. All of these basic things I, I learned in kindergarten, in first grade, in nursery school, and everything is right there. The golden rule, love and basic sanitation, ecology, politics, equality, sane living, it's all right there. And you take any of these ideas and you extrapolate them into a sophisticated adult terminology, and what you will find is you have a guide or a rule of life that will work in any relationship, whether you're talking about family or work or government. It is true and clear and firm. So now I want to leave you with a challenge before the end of the year. I want to challenge you to do your own internal introspective reflection, accounting, and come up with your own credo, your own statement of faith of what is important to you about your faith and how it shapes your life. Consider the ways that you see growth in your faith and celebrate it, as well as look upon those places where you know you are like me, that you miss the mark, and ask for God's grace and a path to grow deeper in understanding how you can more fully embrace these truths as well. As you do this, I invite you to, to ponder and reflect upon these words of Paul. If you have all the eloquence of men or of angels, but speak without love... I am simply a gong booming or a cymbal clashing. If you have the gift of prophecy, understanding all the mysteries there are and knowing everything, and if you have a faith in all its fullness to move mountains but without love, then I am nothing at all. If I give away all that I possess piece by piece, but I am without love, it will do me no good whatsoever. Love is always patient and kind. It is never jealous. Love is, always, love is never boastful or conceited. It is never rude or selfish. It does not take offense and it is not resentful. Love takes no pleasure in other people's failures and sin, but delights in the truth and restoration. It is always ready to understand, to forgive and to trust and to hope and to endure 
whatever comes. Then Paul wrote, when I was a child, I used to talk like a child and think like a child and argue like a child, but now I'm an adult and all childish ways are put behind me. I'll be honest with you. These last words cut the deepest, at least for me. They're the hardest because it reminds me that far too often as I do my own accounting for the past year, I'm very much aware that there are times my fears, my past failures, my pain, my heartache, the places where I have been wounded, the place where I've been hurt or left behind are still there and I haven't allowed God to heal them completely. And I use them as a way then to justify the times I miss the mark so badly. I use them to justify my sin. So then the Spirit, I invite you to wrestle with me and these words from this sacred text with God's love for us and his call to become who we were created to be and become all that we were created to be as God's children. And if you get stuck, and if you wonder where to begin, and you find, find it hard to begin, I want to say that I'm right there with you because the truth is we all at some point in time in life have asked that question, does anybody know the way? To remind you these short truths, faith, hope, and love will always remain. But the greatest of these is always love. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.